Pastor Scott and lead pastor of the river and really glad that you're checking out our uh, online podcast and our services and hope that you are blessed by this. Certainly, if you have any questions, if you're wondering about stuff that goes on here or maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them, feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Love to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's Word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known, that you know how much he truly, truly, truly loves you. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. From Romans uh, chapter 7, uh, turn in with me there to verse 7 if you would. Uh, another familiar passage, in fact, actually this is one of the more confounding passages of the text. Um, in part because of the phrasing in the second part of the passage that Paul uses to describe how he um, considers his own actions and some of the things that he does and doesn't want to do. Um, so we'll walk slowly through that as best we can that we might hear more of what Paul has for our hearts and our lives. From Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 7. <clears throat> what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from law, sin is dead. Once I was alive, apart from the law, but when the commandment came... Sin sprang to life, and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become sin to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. And then we get this portion. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work when I want to do good. Evil is right there with me. For my inner being, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work 
in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite films of all time um, it's not a, a child's film, certainly. It's, it's actually got a lot of violence and very strong language and disturbing scenes in it. But it's a movie called Shawshank Redemption. Many of you, I'm sure, have seen it. It's about maybe 15, 20 years old now. Been around for a long time. And in the movie, uh, it takes place in a prison. And it's a movie that is much about the interaction between prisoners in this maximum security prison. I'm assuming it's in about the maybe 50s or 60s that it's set. And there is one character played by Morgan Freeman in the movie called Red. And Red, as a teenager, had committed a murder. And he says, uh, in his own words, he says, I want to go and shake that stupid, foolish young boy I was by the neck and tell him not to do it. But by this time of the movie, he's actually in his 60s. So he's been incarcerated for probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 40-plus years for his crime. And finally, he gets parole. Um, it's, it's, the movie's about many other things, and it's a powerful, powerful movie about what redemption is. The, the movie, uh, movie title actually fits it really well. But right after he gets released from par- parole... Something happens in Morgan Freeman's life that um, speaks a little bit to what our text says this morning. And that is the struggle that Red, Morgan Freeman's character, has with living into his new identity. He's been incarcerated. He's been institutionalized for the last 40 years. And when he gets released from prison, he has to adjust to regular life. He doesn't go and spend time with his family. I think most of that family is either dead or people he doesn't have connections with. He's just trying to figure it out on his own. He gets a job in a grocery store and he gets an apartment. But he doesn't know how to live. Because there's this struggle. In fact, the struggle so much that he goes up to the manager of the grocery store and asks him if he can go use the restroom. And the manager, of course, says to him, you don't need to ask. You can just go. But he's been asking for so long as a prisoner to go to the restroom, he doesn't even know how to live into this new life. And he talks about, you're either going to live or you're going to get busy dying. That's the struggle that Paul's talking about in the text this morning. How are we struggling with sin in our lives? Not the incarceration or the institutionalization that Morgan Freeman was, but how do we struggle with what our old nature was in light of the new nature that we've been given by God in Jesus Christ? And like Red, we know that struggle. 
And Paul names that struggle for us very clearly and puts some teeth into it in such a way that we can understand he is very much like us when we struggle with sin in our own lives. And he begins in verses 7 through 12 by making a distinction between the goodness of the law and the power that the law has in our broken, sinful nature. The law highlights sin, in essence, doesn't it? When you say something like, thou shalt not, instantly you know what it is that thou shalt not do. And the law is filled with these sorts of directives, especially the Old Testament law. Thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do this. Here are the instructions for you as one of God's people. And that in and of itself is a good instruction. It tells people how to live into freedom and a life of hope. But the problem is, as soon as in our uh, human nature, in our sinful nature, as soon as our sinful nature hears that, what does it do? It says, oh, that's something I'm not supposed to do, but but I do my own thing. And it highlights oftentimes for many of us those things that all of a sudden our sinful nature is instantly drawn to. And and this is an important part of it. Sin in and of itself, and I've said this before, it's acting independently from God. That's truly what sin is. Sin doesn't reflect a dependence upon God. It reflects an independence that we want for ourselves. And again, that sort of speaks back to what Paul is saying. We want to do what we want to do, not what someone else tells us that we shouldn't do. Our sinful nature wants that. Our sin nature grabs onto that independence and moves us towards doing our own thing. Satan and sin do a good job because we do get sucked in, don't we? We get sucked into that. We hear the things about thou thou shalt not lie. And yet, our independent nature says if we want to get out of trouble, trouble that we don't want to get ourselves into, then we're going to lie and try to protect ourselves. If we're going to supposed to guard our eyes, then instantly we notice every commercial or thing on television that has things that can draw our eyes in. Let me highlight this for you. This guy right here in the front row on this side, his name is Bill Jaritzma. Bill Jaritzma is a friend of mine. He prays for me before every service by the way. Don't look at Bill Dritzma. Don't look at him again during this service. After the service, you can go up and greet him and say hi. But until then, the entire rest of the service, you shall not look at Bill Dritzma. Here's the funny part, and you and I both know it. Every one of you in some ways maybe feels that little drop. Maybe you don't feel it yet, but at some point you might. You may all of a sudden catch your eyes looking in that direction, or you'll scan when you're bored with what I'm saying here. Scan the congregation, and instantly your eyes will fall upon them. I feel especially um, uh, sorry for Vaughn and Chris who are sitting right behind him. Good luck on that one. When we are told, don't 
do something, then all of a sudden we know that that's a thing that we are not to do. But there's a drawing to it. There's a magnetism to our sinful nature. And that's the power of it in our lives. That's the power of that independence that we have. That independent, sinful, broken selves that right from the beginning, at the dawn of creation, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, exactly what they did. They were told not to do it. And they did. Because that sin nature When we are told the law, there's a draw because Satan and sin are good at what they do. Moving on, verse 13 says this. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means, but in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. God shows us what sin is through the law. We know what it is. And because we know what sin is, we know what righteousness. That's the goodness of the law. It makes it clear to us what things bring life. If it says to us, thou shalt not, it means that when we do what is opposite of that, when it says thou shalt not lie, and when we only speak the truth, that's the goodness that God is showing to us. And Paul, he's a law guy. He's a person who, he's not discounting the law. He loves the law. He had been a Pharisee. He had been one of the Jewish leaders who loved the law. And he even now in his new life in Christ knows the goodness that there was in the law. But he also knows the difficulty that it brings. He's saying that making it the focal point of faith is problematic. If your lives, if my life becomes about making sure that I nail all the thou shalt's and thou shalt not's, then I am doing exactly what Paul warns me of. I'm giving rise to that sinful nature that because I know the thou shalt's and thou shalt not's, it has power in me. It has power to influence me. It's one of the reasons why I have so much of a problem with legalistic Christians, with people who say, you can only be a follower of Jesus if you do this, 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 and this. That's a problem because right by doing that, you're highlighting the power of sin nature in your life or in your community. It's the struggle that I face. When, when, when I, in my mind, say, okay, don't do this, don't do this, you know that that's against obedience to God. But then it becomes a focus. And instead of me saying, okay, Lord, what is it? Who is it that you want me to love today? Who is it that you want me to serve today? Who is it that you want me to go out and, and, and care for and show justice to and show charity and encouragement to? When I'm so caught up in the thou shalt and thou shalt not, I miss that. The focal point of God's call on our lives is not the thou shalt and thou shalt not. It's his grace and love given to us through Jesus Christ. And then 14 through 20, we get this confusing passage. 
And it betrays the inner struggle that Paul and all of us face. We want to do something, but it seems that we can't do it. We, we want to fix this in our lives. We want, to, we want to change this about ourselves, but we can't do it. No, it seems like no matter how many times we revisited it, how many times we tried to do it, that's a struggle that is given rise to by our sinful nature because we're so aware of it. Paul begins this part by revisiting the slavery discussion from weeks following that we've talked about here. Left to our own devices in our bondage to sin, we reject the goodness of the law, not in who we are in Jesus, but instead in our sinful nature. He's highlighting this dual struggle that we all face in doing things. Now, I'm not going to revisit that now. In fact, Nick's going to be preaching, preaching next week. And if you see the headline for next week's section, what does it say? It says, life through the Spirit. So some of that we're going to hit next week. Come and join us for that. But what we do need to understand is there is that duality in us. The one part of us that is alive in Christ, that loves the goodness of God, that loves his law. And there is the other part that's the sinful broken part. And so often we struggle with that sinful broken part even for a lifetime because we get so focused on the thou shalt and thou shalt not. In the doing of the law, we run smack into our sinful nature, which is alive if our focus is on doing things right. Let me, let me clarify for you what I'm talking about here. If our desire is to be what I would call a good little Christian, to make life cut and dried in what it means to follow Jesus. You know you're supposed to get um, married at a certain age, or you're, you're supposed to have, certainly not have sex until you're married. Um, you're, you're supposed to uh, be, uh, you know, making sure you give your 10% to the church, and you got to make sure that, you know, your, your, your kids understand what they can do and can't do in public, because if they don't do the right things, if they don't act, the right way, then the, the, they're certainly not going to be the good little Christians that they should be in order to show their love for God. Those are not bad things. Please understand me here. They're not bad things. Those are all good things. There's more to it than that. But if that is the focus of our lives, doing all those things right, then I think we miss a lot of the kingdom of God. Because sometimes the kingdom of God is on the edges. Sometimes the kingdom of God is in caring deeply about someone who, frankly, in our good little Christian world, doesn't fit. It's about entering into life sometimes with people who are filled with brokenness and yuckiness and struggle. It's, it's interesting because... Um, there's some folks that I've been made aware of who are hoping to come to Angel's Memorial in a couple of weeks. And their lives are really messy and really broken and really ugly in a lot, a lot of ways. 
and Nick and I have talked about that, that he, he, he wants to guard the memorial service from the stuff that they might bring that is broken and ugly and sinful. But he wants them to come and be a part of it because he wants them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And oftentimes that stuff, we can't welcome it into our world if we're good little Christians because there's no room in the good little Christian world for ugliness and brokenness and us being exposed to bad words or bad images or bad substances. We need to, instead of focusing on the thou shalt and thou shalt not, focus on the love of Christ, the grace of Christ in the world that we live in. Focus instead upon what it is that God is calling us to do, to pour that sort of love and grace into our own life, our family's life, and the lives of others. In verse 20, he highlights this struggle so clearly. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it, that duality. Our longing is to pursue that part of us that loves God, loves the goodness of his law, loves how he loves us, loves the grace that we have received. And because we focus and pursue that, our desire then is to show that love to the world and not instead to get caught up in the other, the thou shalt. Let me put it another way. Um, I have a struggle every morning when I wake up. I wake up usually about 5.30 in the morning. And when I wake up in the morning, I lay in bed usually for a minute or two having this internal conversation. That internal conversation goes something like this. I really want to stay in this nice warm bed. I really love where I am right now. This is comfortable it is something that I, I, I'm beside this beautiful woman that I love. We're keeping each other warm. I don't want to get out from this place. That would be good for me. And then the other part of me says, buddy, you need to get yourself out of bed and go to the gym. You need to go work out because A, you've told Kristen that you're going to work out more. And B, because you know because people like Mona are going to come up to you and say, are you working out enough? Because they're concerned about my health and my well-being. And if I don't work out, then I get sick. Guess what? I haven't worked out in about a week. And now I'm sick. If I don't work out in the morning, the truly good thing for me, then inevitably I will pay the consequence. It's that sort of struggle that Paul is focusing upon. Now, here's the thing. I focus upon the working out. I focus upon the idea that when I get up, I'm going to have to go sweat and run and work hard and lift weights and do all that stuff. And you know what? When I focus on that, it's really easy not to go work out. But instead, if I focus on you know what? I get to be healthy. My blood pressure goes down. I handle stress better. I sleep better. All the things that come from me going to work out are the blessings 
that I need to focus on and not the fact that I'm going to have to go and get sweaty and work hard for an hour. When I focus on the thou shalts, that struggle becomes even harder. Then we get verse 21 through 24. And they say this, So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me, for in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work with the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Paul is saying, folks, who you are in your inmost being, your heartstrings are tuned through Jesus Christ, to your new master. That's why you and I both know that the law is good. But even though we know that, the sin nature and our struggle with it continues. And because of the failure in this struggle, Paul says these words, what a wretched man I am. He knows the consequence of sin in his life. He knows how it takes him away from who he really is, who he really serves as a slave, his master, God the Father, his master, Christ the Son. He says, we're hopeless and we're a mess, and we're in need of rescue. And certainly all of us know that because we say those things over and over again. We, 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 try to, we try to fix that sin or change that sin in our lives, and we know in our own strength we've gone back and tried to fix it many, many times, but we just can't overcome it in ourselves. We need something from outside of ourselves to come into us, change us, transform us. And certainly Paul acknowledges that in the next verse. When he said, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ our Lord. There's the answer. Yes, we face the internal struggle in ourselves But the answer, praise be to God, is outside of us. Because if it were dependent upon us, we know we'd be in big, big trouble. Okay, all of this. So what? Well, let me say it this way. When we focus on doing the law, our sin nature enters our hearts and a struggle begins. A struggle in ourselves that we will always lose. You and I will always lose that struggle in and of ourselves. We are not strong enough. We can do it right for a week, maybe two, maybe three maybe six months, maybe even a year, but at some point we are going to be weak in some place and sinful nature that is inside of all of us is going to come and it's going to pounce and it's going to destroy because that's what sinful nature does. It's one of the reasons why something like AA or um, Al-Anon or uh, NA, it's one of the reasons why their first step is saying what? The answer doesn't come out from inside of me. It comes from a higher power. We need that help outside of ourselves. Otherwise, we lose. Our hope comes from outside of us, through Jesus Christ. And he engages us 
in, through the Spirit into a new way of living. And more on that next week. But let me, let me share one more thing that hopefully can clarify what I'm talking about. I don't know if you know this, but I'm a nail biter. Like, supreme. I will bite my fingernails until they bleed. I have never had nails that have actually extended to the ends of my fingers. They're always in the nail bed themselves, and I know there's some of you who are saying, A, that's really disgusting, and B, you wonder why you get sick, you big doofus. And you're right. I know you're right. And I have tried to stop biting my nails literally hundreds of times. I had that stuff that you paint on your fingernails that tastes really bad. So I would stop chewing my fingernails. I ended up liking it (laughs) after a while. I have done everything from putting band-aids over my fingernails so that I wouldn't bite them and it wouldn't be long before I'd tear them off so that I could get to my fingernails. And, And actually, it's interesting. If I really do well for a while, of course, your fingernails grow. So instead of biting them, I justify it by just playing with them. Put them in my mouth and just nibble them a little bit, but don't actually bite through. And you'll see me, sometimes I'll be in the front pew here, and if I'm stressed about that Sunday or I'm thinking about my message, I'll be chewing away. If I'm watching a a sports game or something like that, I'm chewing away. If I get into a movie, I'm chewing away. If I'm driving in my car, I'm chewing away. It's just one of those things that becomes automatic. But I'll tell you, when I don't chew my nails, I don't chew my nails when I'm mowing the lawn. I don't chew my nails when I'm washing the dishes. I don't chew my nails when I am brushing my teeth in the morning. Basically, I don't chew my nails when I am doing something with my hands that demands my attention. Then I am living as a non-nail biter. The instant I stop doing something with my hands, I return again to being that nail biter. And I can sit there and I can say, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Play, 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 bite. Point I'm trying to make here is that when we think about the Christian life, we can focus upon the doing or not doing. And we can sit there and say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to fix it this time. Or We can go out and live the life that God has for us in Jesus Christ. And when we go out and we live that life out there that God has for us in Jesus Christ, it's like me mowing the lawn. I'm so busy focused upon a task at hand that I need to get done using my hands that I don't even think about biting my nails. And when we live into the life that God has for us in Jesus Christ, we are so consumed with his plan and purpose for us. We are so consumed by how he is at work in us. We are so consumed by the things that we see his kingdom growing through. We see all that that we forget about the thou shalt and thou shalt not. We live into them naturally. Why? Because we're living the life that God has for us. 
I'm not saying go out and get busy. I'm saying go out and follow Jesus. Because as you follow Jesus, I'll tell you, he'll never take you into thou shalt not land. Ever. As you go out and love with the love of Jesus, you never visit those places. Oh, you may see them from a distance, or you may see them in another, but they're not in your life. You're just then extending God's love into those places and those spaces and seeing what God's love and grace might do to transform them. Don't go out and get busy. Just go out and follow Jesus. Follow Jesus as he calls you to live into a life of encouragement, blessing, hope, love, and life in the lives of others, those around you, and into your own. You want to know more? Come next week. Nick will have more to share with you about truly what that life in the Spirit is all about. Would you pray with me? We praise you, O God, for your calling to us to go and to live into this new life as your servant, as your slaves. Father, may our desire be truly to follow you, not get so focused and consumed on the have-tos and the supposed-tos and the thou shalt nots and thou shalts, but instead, Father, may our pursuit be to follow you, to see your love and grace in our lives and share that with others. And that within that, Father, we know that your spirit will grow and then that sin nature dies a little bit more gets weaker in our hearts and our minds because we're so consumed with you. We're so consumed with your love and your power in our lives that we don't even see some of those things that before would have tripped us up, taken us away. We're consumed by you. Come, Father, consume us. Come, take us over that we might follow you wherever you lead. And then, Lord, we might see truly the life that you have for us in Jesus Christ. We pray these things all in his name. Amen.